Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. We're off. We're off. Sons, Kirsten, yes, you're right. So, (laughs) (laughs) we're at Dee Dee's house. Yep. What room are we in? We're in the laundry. We're in the laundry again. Yep. And which, sorry, just to to, um, because you're a little bit earlier that I put a load of washing on. (laughs) I've turned up earlier than expected. I went to Pilates (laughs) to stretch my body out and I got here early. And there's a load of washing, and in about 30 minutes' time, the the, like spin cycle is going to make the cupboard door go, but you'll know when it happens, just to explain what's happening. So I don't want you to imagine a normal laundry when you're thinking that Dede and I are sitting in the laundry. There is – we should probably take a photo. Yeah, you can do a photo. Yeah, we'll take a photo um, and put it up on the socials. But it's um, it's got a big table in the middle and there are all these antiques around. The craft – this is – It's a craft room as well. So we, we call this uh, Shabby World. Shabby World. Because – Accurate. I was obsessed with Rachel Ashwell and the whole Shabby Chic thing, which right. seems to have come and gone. But, but- – I love just. Well, I just. I might need to do craft. How at some many times? I've been in this room many a time. <laughs> yep. Many a time, and there's normally like you've smashed bits of pots and you're putting them on. I finished things. that mosaic. I'm going to put mosaic. that up. I'll put that up. Yeah, yes, the mosaic. Yeah. But today there we have an audience of five dolls' heads. Mm. They're terrifying. You've ripped their heads off dolls. Yes. And you've made them. It's like, what's that thing? Toy Story? Yeah. It's like Toy yeah. Story. With That's the, the vibe I'm going for. Yeah. Is yeah. it? And here's this box here of things. And then she's so... got on the table in front of us, she's got a box full of dolls' legs and arms. So you can get like an old fork and make <laughs> that the so arms weird. and stuff. Well, that's the vibe I'm going for. That's sort of okay. weird. Okay. But um, Kieran joined in on it. We went like antiquing and we're going, wow. he was going, oh, that'd make a good hat and that'd make a good arm. Yeah. But then I get lazy. Like I start it and then I lay. I get lazy and yeah. I think, oh, I've got to get some tools and make right. it stick together. But it's a work in progress just for something to do. do but you, I'm sorry, they're staring at you. They were on right this at table. Me. We'll take a photo because that's incredible scenes. Okay. Yeah. There's, yeah. I've got a, there's some finished ones in yeah. the house. Okay, good. Um, so we need to exp- – well, we're not going to apologise again. You know we're the world's most spasmodic podcast. That's our yeah. marketing line. We're a mess. And we need to explain what's happened. So we are recording this. Yes, on our phones. So first <laughs> up, apologies for the quality if it's crap. I, well, I got a new phone though. This is a new phone. Oh. So hopefully it's What have you got? A is 13. It the, yeah, that's this. Yeah, so hopeful. Look, look how twinny phones. We're so modern. We um, are. And so so we're both busy and yes. it's probably probably both of our faults because you at the same time you got the job on state rounds. Yes. Which gave you a whole different workload. Correct. And I got the job hosting afternoons, which Correct. gave me a whole different things so there is no time mental at all in the day where yeah. we both are free at the same time i shouldn't say mental people are going to get offended by that it's crazy oh, at the moment no, i know it's probably the wrong thing i take it back sorry I i'm very thinking. scared to offend people all the time you're not no you're not no i'm not you're unapologetically you i am i will apologize if necessary but yes. i won't ap- apologize unless an apology yes, is sorry. necessary um kirsten though what we can do because kirsten's not with kirsten's us right not now. here we can blame We're everything free. on her. We can, <laughs> and here, so here's the thing. Okay, Kirsten, as we know, yes, is, is now has a baby. Yeah, she's and a mum. 
And it's the most phenomenally cute baby I've ever seen in my life. It is unbelievable, isn't it? She's unbelievable. She's unbelievably beautiful. I wish we could share, but I share I her and her partner's concern about putting a picture of the baby totally. on a Facebook page labeled totally. Deep Body Sets Wrong. Yeah. So um, she was faced with the choice of sitting in my uh, laundry, laundry or listening to us sitting in my laundry. Yes. Or playing with, with a beautiful brand new baby. I cutest wouldn't baby choose us. I wouldn't choose us. Well, I'm a bit hurt oh. that she didn't choose us. So here's my plan. Okay. We bash up the baby. Get it out of the... <laughs> s- well, get it no. out of the picture. No. No. The baby has I to stay. I don't have a plan B. So that's- okay. Well, no, the baby has to stay. So it's just going to be you and I here. Okay. We'll do our little best. Um, forgive us for any mistakes and things. Okay. I feel like What's I need happened? a bowel update. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay. So there's two things that have happened, maybe three bits. So I have a um, I have a bowel update and I have a bit of a social media update. Oh, okay. Which one do you want? Save social media for the next episode because okay. I know you're doing a story in two parts. So we'll yes, part I am. Two. Okay, so bowel update. Can you update. hear the washing machine? I think it's on the rinse cycle. It's, it's on the rinse. It's gone to rinse. I'm so sorry. There's nothing I That's can do. That's fine. Um, okay, bowel update. Okay. Short version. Mm. Never been better in my life. Oh, really? Yes. Meaning what? You okay. Were you, were you not able to eat some things or? No. So I have ulcerative colitis. Or? Yeah, I was shitting myself basically mm. several times a day. Oh, poor love. Very difficult. Yeah. Constant. You're standing there doing something and you're like. Boom, I'm going to shit myself. Oh. I need to run to the bathroom. Yeah. So I think I spoke on a previous – I love it that new people will be listening to the most recent episode of this to see if they like this podcast and then they're waiting for a dead <laughs> body story yeah. and they get a bowel They're update. going, what the hell? But it's the called OG dead bodies. Listeners, they know. Okay, so um, I got really, really bad, quite sick during lockdown. And I think that was because of stress and mm. how, you know, it's inflamed by stress, my condition. Yeah. Um, and I think I said on a previous episode that I switched specialists and I was kind of encouraging people that if they're not happy with their specialists, no matter what it is yeah. or how intelligent and smart and accredited your, your specialist is, if you're not happy, find someone new. And I found someone new and he is, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, the most amazing man No, I don't even remember you saying that unless I just ignored you when you said it. No, he, so my first, I had a total meltdown around January because Mm. my condition was getting worse and Mm. it wasn't getting any better. And I was on a whole lot of drugs and, um, uh, a, a woman I know who has a similar condition, I reached out to her and I said, you know, I was telling her what was happening to me because I was just at breaking point. Yeah. Um, and she said, go and see my specialist. He's the best in the world. And I think everyone kind of says that about their specialist. Anyway, he truly is the best in the world. I had a, um, I had a Zoom consult with him during lockdown and I was just crying the whole time. Oh. And he just let me cry on a Zoom call for oh. 45. I was like, oh. I've just never been so sick and I just oh, don't want to feel baby. like this. And he was like, it's okay. Like, just let me cry for a whole 45 minutes. Um, and so the next step for me was to up my meds mm. to a level which was um, meds that are normally used for chemo mm-hmm. in a much smaller dose, but that was really scary for yeah, me. Yeah. Um, and this uh, gastroenterologist has just been like, okay, let's strip it all back. Let's go down to base level. 
and just see if we can work on you for a longer amount of time with yeah. meds and see if, if you get better. Um, and I've gotten better. So it's taken about eight months of this, whereas wow. my previous specialist was like, nah, you just got to go up to the next level. Nah, you just got to up your meds. Right? I know Dee Dee's doing a so face like, like, told you. Yeah, well, yeah. no, no, I would not never have assumed to have yeah. told you so on something like yeah, that, yeah. but I'm just so happy for you. And are you on any meds at all? I am on meds. Yeah. I'm on daily meds, um, but I'm at the point where I'm uh, just experimenting yeah, with okay. can I pull them back, what happens when I pull them back, do we need to then put them back up, but I do have a funny story for you. Okay. Okay. So, as we all know, I'm the queen of colonoscopies, right? Yes. It's like my thing. How um, I've all, missed all oh, of this. right? My colonoscopies. <laughs> I know. So, um, he said to me, we kind of got to a bit of a breaking point and he said, I think we need to we need to colonoscopy. We just need to make sure there's nothing going on yeah, in there yeah. um, because of my symptoms. And I said, okay, fine. And he goes, I'm going to give you some bowel prep. And I've done bowel prep before. You drink it. Horrific. Oh, is that that fleet stuff? Yeah. I've never done it, but oh I've heard Oh, my God. So stories. I've done all the bowel prep. And he goes, this one's quite bad. Oh. He's like, you're going to need some anti-nausea to go with this. Because wow. this one's a little violent. Ooh-wee, was it violent? Oh, no. Oh, it just ripped through me. Wow. I couldn't leave the bathroom. Nicholas was laughing at me because I kept trying to leave the bathroom. And then I was like, he was trying to work from home and he kept hearing this... And that was just me running back to the bathroom to get cleared out. Oh, poor baby. Anyway, so the last time I had a colonoscopy, I think I told you, I told this podcast that prior to them putting me under, yeah. I had this drug that put me off my face. Oh, yes. And I said, yes. I've yeah. never taken illicit drugs in my life, but I imagine this is exactly what it feels like. Yeah. And it's the best I've ever felt. So I go in for this colonoscopy, right? And the anaesthetist comes in. Yeah. She goes, hello, my name's such and so and so. And I said, again, I know who you are. I have Googled you. I know where you studied. That is not a – we are past that. You yeah. don't need to convince me who you are. I need to talk about this drug. She goes, okay. She, I said, I had this drug. It was the best I've ever felt in my life. It, the sensation was incredible. I am not a drug addict. I'm assuring you of that, but I need to feel like that again. And she starts laughing. And I go, but I don't know what it was called. And she goes – I know what it was called. Of course she does. Right? She's keeping it for herself. And she's like, you want to do it again? And I was like, yes, I do. She's like, all right, no worries. She's like, it'll just calm you down. That's all it is. And I was like, look, I don't know if I need calming, but at this point I'm probably seeming like I do need calming because yeah. I was just jumping yeah. out of my chair a little. Anyways, so then I wheel, they wheeled me into the theatre and she counted me down to feeling the best I've ever felt for the second time in my life. She goes, are you ready to feel the best you've ever felt the second time in your life, what Chanel? And what does it do? Does it? Well, she goes, three, two, one, and she, like, injected it into me. It just, you feel like you're you're leaving your body. Your body is gone. You're wow. just you're just a feeling. I mean, that's this is this uh, this entire conversation is so inappropriate because you're encouraging people to seek that feeling <laughs> no. from medication, which no, is not I'm great. Not. But I know, but I, you can't get it. You can't. You can't go no. out and buy it. So the I'm only definitely not ever. encouraging drug use. But no, no. Well, that's what you're doing. It's no, highly wrong. Oh, no. No, under control conditions, it's all right. But I remember I had it a, was um, controlled. an ulcer, yeah. gastric ulcer, the most painful thing I've ever yeah. had. And they gave me morphine. And when they Did give you feel it good? to you, well, 
I just remember feeling it actually yes. going up to my fingertips. Yeah. And zoo, 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 down it to runs my... down to all your ends. You can actually feel it like there's yeah. little ants running along to Metallic the... taste in your mouth? I uh, can't remember that. Oh. But I, I remember thinking to myself, this must be what drug taking is like. Well, it is, obviously. I definitely so. think that's what drug taking is like. And to be honest, I'm definitely not encouraging drug taking. But if that is what it feels like when you take drugs, then you can I understand. understand. Yes, yes. I understand. Yeah. Because I hadn't felt like that for two years since yeah. my previous colonoscopy. And I remember, I can remember the feeling. And I wanted it. So I can only guess that the difference is that somebody who becomes a chronic illegal drug taker. Yeah. That... It's that feeling. Yes. And then there's a decision to make Escapism when it's though worn as well, off. right? Yes. If, you're, if you make a decision, what have I got in my day-to-day to look forward to? And there's nothing. Or the other option is that feeling. Yeah. They're choosing that feeling. And, and that's the choice. Yeah. So if we can make them – I don't know how to help drug people. There's experts who do a much better job than I ever would. But if they had better options mm. to choose instead of that feeling. But I that feeling is so addictive. It's bad. I reckon she, I only felt like that for 10 seconds before I was under and it was still incredible. <laughs> you still buzzed. I know. I was, <laughs> it was still incredible. Wow. Yeah. I'm so happy you were well and yeah. good. Is, there, is this the last that we have to hear about your Well, I don't know. I'm still, I don't know. I'm still touch and go, I think. I need to feel, like be well, for, I reckon, okay. for 12 months. All right. But I did question my new GI. I was like, now you're going to see my butt and blah, blah, blah. And he What's was like, GI? gastroenterologist oh, okay. and he was like I assure you it's once we're in I'm just looking at the screen and I was like are you sure he's like yeah he's like I don't I'm not what if he s- snuck a few sneaky you know and you just see them circulating on reddit or something reddit's always got the pictures whenever there's something dreadful. I'd be okay about it. to be honest I show people I'll show you the results no of my I really g- that's okay that's that's okay <laughs> do you know how many photos of poop there is on my phone <laughs> So many. And after I had my follow-up appointment, because after so uh, following my follow-up appointment, following my follow-up appointment, I um I switched meds. He could see where all my inflammation was. Yeah. So that's what, what came out of having the colonoscopy. He was like, right, we know where it is. We know what level it's at. This is how we're going to treat it. Yeah. And then I got better. And then I had an appointment. And he's like, how are you feeling? I was like, never been better. He's like, have you been taking photos of your poop? I was like, yeah, you want to see? And he was like, no, just everyone does it. Do you I don't, break I don't out need to in see a sweat it. if you if you're saying to someone oh I took a photo and it's a nice one you're showing that and someone take actually takes your phone from you do you break out in a sweat thinking oh what if they start scrolling through? no because I would just explain I'm telling the entire podcast about my poo yeah that's and true. my bowel I'm that's not ashamed true. of it at yeah. all I'm not ashamed <laughs> I look of at it. my poo I actually said it to my son the other day yes everyone because needs to. I came out of it he was in the kitchen with my husband yeah and I had been to the toilet and I came out and I said this has I, been 14 minutes of poop yeah, it's gotta stop it's stopping in there <laughs> There will be one minute of it left. Okay. I came out into the kitchen and I said, I just did poo yeah. that looked exactly like Mr. Hankey from South Park. See? And, and my you're son, so proud of that. My husband was like, oh, that's good. And my son was horrified and he said, what are you doing looking down the... I said, don't you look at your Oh, my poo. goodness, you must. You're supposed to. You must. You need I'm... to see, like, what form is it? What exactly. shape is it? Are they small? Are they large? Is there blood? Is there something else in it? You must look. And I remember that dietitian lady, there was a special on once and she said, you, your poo should... Your stool should be the, the colour of a conqueror. Is she Mr. Goddard? She was... She was <laughs> no. She's a vessel. I can't remember her name, but it, she wanted it to be light brown and floating and yeah don't oh, you know mine really floats you don't want well that's good is it yeah you don't want oh. dark ones that drop to the bottom no that's you what i'm saying to... mine rarely floats yeah i'm gonna do one more poo story before we okay, get off go, the subject go, 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 so go, did go. i ever tell you about the double t shitter so double t-shitter. at the radio station i used to work 
at. Yeah. Um, there were two radio stations within the one building and we okay. shared all facilities and stuff, but the studios were separate. So the other station was Double T. Yeah. And Oh, my gosh. I at, think this could be similar to what I do. Yep, go. At the time of day that I worked the breakfast show, so there was no one in the building, no one. But some occasion, and I was the only female, and yeah. occasionally I would go, well, every morning, go to the loo. Yeah. But sometimes I would go in there and there would be, someone would have left an unflushed. Oh, no. And not just any poo, but a giant one. I remember no. coming out one day and saying saw to my su- colleague. Yeah, I saw a giant poo that wasn't mine yeah, well, in a toilet huge. recently and I was shook by how big it was. There was a fucking <laughs> full bowl in there one day and I came yeah. out and I said to my, my co-host, I said, it's it's like, you know, those bowls that a Christmas pudding comes yeah. in and they're plastic. And okay, they say, I take it back. I don't do that because I said I thought this might be similar to what I do, but it's not. <laughs> no. But I, I use a different bathroom at my work. That's oh, right, not okay. the one that's connected to the newsroom, especially when I was unwell. And I you would see me running across the building <laughs> to one that not a lot For of people a bit of privacy. use. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this was huge. I said someone, and so it wasn't anyone from my radio station. It had to be from the other. Oh. And so we then made it our business to do a bit of detective work, find out who is the double T shitter, and? who's not flushing. Well, the only person who oh, no. could have been, the only female who oh, was no. there, was this tiny, tiny girl. She was miniature. She was like four feet high. Well, that's why she's so small, because she's evacuating on a regular basis. Nothing, nothing being held in I've the bond. I've never known the truth of it, but I was mm. I, I used to stare at her a lot and think, how how is that? Is it was it a fetish? I think she just thought was forgetting or something. Well, no, know. you don't forget. You don't was forget. was huge. Like, I just was ashamed of the small amount that I was doing wow. compared to hers. Enough poo. Can we stop with the poo? Enough poo. Move on from the banter. Yeah. Give you what you came for, but a dead body. That's 17 minutes. Cursed is going to be mad. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's give you some dead bodies. Is yours working? Yes. How are we going so far, Cursed? I think we're going look at, okay. Look at us, strong, independent. We don't white need women. Cursed. No, we do. We're doing it. We do. Did you say white women? What did an express? Well, actually, it was from a show. I'm a strong, independent black woman. But I just inserted white woman. As yeah, any well. woman can be that. Are you worried that's offended someone? At this point, I think this podcast has probably offended enough people. That's my thinking if someone comes here. Although I've mentioned it a couple of times on air and I do think, oh, someone who listens to my radio show is going to We do accept to feedback. This. We do. Are yeah. you going first? You go first. Okay. I don't mind. You go first. I'll go first yeah. because yours is going to be a cliffhanger. So if we come back in the next Oh, episode, got you. Okay. okay. Organised we are. Yeah. Um, mine's very topical. Is it? Well, I think so. Okay. Um, so America's West, and you've probably seen this in the news, is in the grip of a, a drought, a really yes. brutal drought. Yes. And in Nevada, of course, everyone knows Nevada for Las Vegas, about mm-hmm. 50 k's from Nevada, uh, from Las Vegas, is Lake Mead, which is America's largest man-made, see, I want to say reservoir, because that's how we reservoir. pronounce the suburb here. Yeah. The, Reservoir. Uh, it's 112 miles long. It's enormous. Now, it's somehow connected to the Hoover Dam. Okay. Uh, its waters have dropped to its lowest level in history since it was filled 85 years ago because of the drought mm-hmm. and there's high temperatures. And so there's other things involved. I mean, some people are saying, and this is where, and jokingly, I said to you, we're going woke in this episode. Yes, um, you did. I'm not really a, a climate change catastrophist. 
Um, and so Do you, it is, I believe in climate change, though. Oh, bits and pieces. I'll what? cherry pick the bits I like and not what? like. Well, I think hot... Okay, I have a book that was published in 1848. Okay. It's the diary of one of the very first settlers of Melbourne. Sure, it's out of date. She, t- she writes about, it is a little bit, she writes about yes. the stifling heat where it soared up to over 100 degrees. Okay. Then she, and she writes almost the next day about the flood that comes and sweeps away sure. half of Melbourne. These things have always happened. Right. Right. But I, I, I think that we can't keep using the earth in the way that we are. And I agree with there's, that. there's no effects. This is why I mean I'm picking, picking yeah, choose bits. Okay. I think we should stop polluting the planet yes. as much as we are. And are you taking steps in your household to do that? You bet I am. Yes, oh, I am the recycling. Well, here's the, here's the funny thing. So the, the two younger members We're of doing household. banter again. Yep. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, they don't recycle. I'm like, oh, you no. two are we inheriting this planet. This. We need to, yeah, we, we need to be better. It's Why hard, am I though. the one tearing things up and mm. squishing things so that more can fit in? It's... Anyway, uh, go. Well, going to yell at us. Less waste. Yeah. Wherever I can. Agree. All right. Um, okay, where are we? Um, uh, there's other things apart from, you know, they're saying climate change, but there have sure. been increased contractual demands for the water from this thing, which is sucked away from Lord, uh, Lord Mead, Lake Mead. There is a Lord Mead. That's a whole different story you don't need to hear. Uh, it's the Colorado River that flows into it. So anyway, water levels dropping. And in May, it became so shallow that a barrel mm. became visible. Of course it did. Yep. And it contained skeletal <gasps> remains. One was, or two? Just one. Okay. was sticking out of the mud at an area of the lake called Hemenway Harbour. Now, along with the skeleton, there were items found in the barrel. Mm-hmm. So police were able to date it. Lieutenant Ray Spencer, who's with the Las Vegas Metro Police, said the person appeared to have died from a gunshot wound mm-hmm. and was dumped in the lake between the mid-70s and the early 1980s. A gunshot wound is what the police said, but a, a reporter at the scene said the barrel was absolutely riddled with bullet holes. So obviously they suspect a homicide. The spin, spin cycle starting. <laughs> We've got two options. I leave the door closed and let that rattle. We just or go with it. I open it. We just we, go with it. All right. Yep, I reckon. Um, they were trying to work out the person's identity, but obviously that was going to be very, very hard to do because it had been under there for so long. But mm. he says, I would say there is a very good chance. So this was May of 2022. He said, I... No, that's <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> Let's try that. I think the washing machine spinning is not as noisy as the bang, 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 bang. It sounds like podcast on an aeroplane now. <laughs> Just this go with honestly it. We're is, taking off. This is the world's worst podcast. We're so worst chaotic. We're so, worst. we're so chaotic. How long is there to go? Oh, there's six minutes to go. Six minutes. That's all you'll have to sit through. I'll keep going and I'll speak loudly and hopefully you'll hear me more than this. We'll be fine. Cycle. We'll be fine. Uh, <clears throat> Lieutenant Spencer said at that time, May... I would say there is a. I would say there is a very good chance as the water level drops, we're going to find additional human remains. Additional. Additional. Yeah, they love it when they use bigger words. Yeah, additional. To be more important. And he more. was right. He was right. Less than a week later, more skeletal. Do you say skeletal or skeletal? Oh, skeletal. I'm, I'm going to say skeletal. Okay. But you're probably. Skeletal's probably skeletal, right. Skeletal, I think. Because it's a single L, isn't it? Uh, more, I'll say skeletal. That's what's coming sure. out of my mouth. More skeletal remains were out, 
found at uh, Calville Bay, again, which is on the lake. And three other sets of human remains have been found at the lake's swim beach. In barrels or just on their own? Uh, do you know? I don't know exactly. It must be just on their own, I reckon. Mm. Partial human remains were found in the Boulder Beach area on July 25. By August 2022, police divers recovered a fourth body wow. from Lake Mead. And they're currently still reviewing um, records of missing pieces. It's, it's also <laughs> worth pointing out at this point, Lake Mead provides drinking water. No, to, I know. Doesn't. Isn't that awful? Yes, it no, does. No, it doesn't. It does to millions of Americans. See, this furthers my argument about not drinking tap water. Don't you? What? Nah. That's weird. Nah. I'm, I was watching that uh, try border security to. last night. Oh, I Get love this. You know security. how they always bring in weird stuff? There were two yeah. we, two people. One woman had flown in from China and the, and the customs lady was taking things off of her. Yeah. And some of them were food. And she was yeah. like, she wanted to eat them. She was like, it was a huge. She was like, like if you're going to take it, ki- I'm going to eat it. Yeah. It was a two kilo bag of prunes. And I'm yeah. like, that's Ooh. a big mistake. Ooh. And they were oh, pulling it away and she was pulling it back. Yeah. And the other one was a guy who was very sus. He had brought in from, I think, Vietnam mm. a container of cleaning powder. Like, yes. why wouldn't you just buy it here? And about eight bottles of frozen water. Frozen water? And so, obviously, they're very sus. They're going, what's in the middle of this frozen oh. water? They tested it. There was nothing. He just brought water. Who brings water from one country was to another? Was it holy water, though? Was it blessed or something? Oh. Didn't, I don't know. Could be blessed, I reckon. Still weird. Still Does weird. Does the freezing take the blessing out of it? All right, so anyway. But you know when you get your herbs, right, and you, pre- you preserve your herbs, like, yeah. like you chop the ends off, you put them in a glass of water? Yeah. Put them in filtered water and see how much longer they last. Oh, really? Mm. Will do. Welcome. Mm. Um, so let's get past the drinking water because that's going to make all the Americans sick. The discoveries prompted quite a bit of speculation about missing persons and they were looking back through cases going decades back. But Las Vegas was a renowned hotbed of mafia activity. Right. During the 1970s and 1980s and you're going to be swimming with the fishes. Yeah, Casino. Greatest movie ever. Yeah. Yeah. So by early August 2022 they were up to five sets of human remains. And August 25, which is not that Long ago. I was going to say, we're getting, is it going to be a development today? Mm-hmm. They made their first identification. It was the second body that was found back on May the 7th, and it had been spotted near Calville Bay by paddleboarders. They came across a skeleton in the mud, so this one wasn't in a barrel. Right. And it has been identified by the Office of the Coroner as Thomas Erndt, E-R-N-D-T, he was 42 years old when he went missing back on August the 2nd, 2002. Now, the cause of death hasn't been determined, but um, it seemed that he had drowned because he was right. not being in a barrel. Okay. Uh, the third and fourth sets of remains were suspected to be from the same person. Um, and at the moment, they're checking to see whether that was an army veteran by the name of Kenneth Funk who drowned while saving his wife back in 2004. Uh, the fifth one also was near Boulder Beach. Anyway, they're expecting Lake Mead's water levels to drop over the next few years, mm-hmm. um, which may result in more, more bodies being uncovered. Um, I want to skip now to Thomas Earned, the one who's remains have been identified his son tom has spoken to the media after his father's remains were identified that's good news isn't it that's good it's over i'll just open it so it stops okay 
those out on the line. Uh, later. A little later. Mm. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Uh, Tom earned said that his father was the most awesome father I can ever ask for. I miss him every day. So Tom was 10 years old when he lost his father on Lake Mead. They'd gone on a boating trip. Tom says his dad loved boats. He'd take friends out onto the water and and family almost every weekend. And on Friday, August the 2nd, 2002, they went out late for a midnight cruise. And young Tom was on the boat with his father, his sister and several family members and friends. I've got some photos of them because we'll put up on our socials. Um, It was a night when nobody else would get in the water so Thomas earned took off his shirt and jumped in I'm not sure exactly why okay he jumped in whether he was just mucking around but um young Tom who was 10 at the time said his dad and his dad was an air, airplane mechanic he said his dad was a big joker and stuff too and at first it was like his dad was going oh I'm drowning ah, and they thought he was joking and then it turned into screaming and yelling and he was saying, I need help, I need help. And it was pitch black oh. and the waves. And again, I'm mystified. I don't know how a lake can have waves, but there were waves on the lake and they were getting stronger. Um, his sister Tina was 14 years old at the time. Mm. She remembers how big the waves were and she can remember her father's hand brushing against the ladder of the boat. And she said, we heard help three times and we couldn't find him. And it seems like everything went wrong for this family on that night. They couldn't get the boat started. Tom's mm. sister couldn't get a call out on her mobile phone. So once they finally got through to 911, it was too late. And that was the last time that they ever saw Thomas Ernt. So when the bodies started being discovering in, uh, discovered in Lake Lemead, Tom said he started wondering if his father was oh, among them. Right. And when the first one was found in a barrel, he he thought, no, that's no. unlikely to be him. But the second body that was found half buried in the mud near Calville Bay, which was where Thomas Ernt had gone missing, he had a feeling that it might be him. So at first the coroner's office reached out to Tom's older sister asking her to do a DNA test and then they sent him a mouth swab asking him to do the test and he said he just stared at it for a week because um, he, he kind of, yeah, I think he knew. the reality yeah. as well of... of- yeah, he said, I couldn't get myself to do it because I didn't know if I was ready for the answer. Yeah. So he got up, his fiance encouraged him and he got up the courage and he sent the sample and it confirmed what they suspected. Yeah. Um, he said, I always thought something would pop up, but just knowing it in my head, I guess it kept me from hoping that maybe there's a possibility I yeah. would see my dad again. Mm, I was about to say, sometimes the not knowing, there's comfort in the not knowing. Yeah. You've always, when you... When you don't know for so long, you want to know, but that moment would be terrifying. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. I, I think I would do the same. I'd probably yeah, walk around same. it for a week too. So he wants his father to be remembered as a person, not mm-hmm. just as a set of human skeletal remains. He, he doesn't want his dad to be affiliated with any of those suspected mafia murders, which is what some of the other ones are. And he said now that his father has been discovered and is a peace, he still can't find full closure for himself because he always had, as you said, that hope that his dad was somewhere out there. Yeah. Um, and so the lake for him is a really special place. He proposed to his fiance there and they released some balloons in his father's honour on the shoreline. And um, his sister Tina, who's now Tina Bushman, she says the family's waiting to receive the remains and plans to return them to Lake Mead because the father wanted to be cremated, right. so they'll do that. Yeah. Then, yeah. Okay. So there you are. I expect we'll hear more about that because... Yes, I can't wait. Yeah, the lower the level sinks, which is likely to continue happening, mm. the more they'll discover. Okay, so my story is a story I said that I would do. Remember beautiful Sarah that emailed us... Uh, to talk to say you call sex workers sex workers yes 
And uh, in that email that she sent to us, she said um, she kind of outlined some of some of the negatives of being a sex worker and said, you know, at times they're used as trial runs um, yeah. for I, well, I, I wasn't, to be honest, I wasn't entirely sure what she meant. Yeah, I knew what she meant. Mm. And I knew what she meant because of this particular story that I said I would cover. Um, this particular story is quite dark for me, I, personally, uh, having covered it at the time. And I'll do it in two parts because I think it's so heavy. And But I don't know if that's because of the way I feel about it. But either way, I'm doing it in two parts because I actually don't think I could do it in one. Um, but... This story was the the catalyst for me of having basically a huge anxiety attack and realising that what you report on, you actually take on. Um, and when you can't report it at the end of the day, you carry that with you. And I think you always carry stories that you report with you. Um, but this particular one, I think it happened in Melbourne. You would have been impacted by it in this town, I think every woman uh, would have been impacted by it. And and the community outpouring of grief about what happened in Melbourne uh, was huge. Mm. Uh, And it is, quite frankly, every woman's worst nightmare. Um, so we're going back to 2012 for this. And, And the connection with Sarah will become obvious in the second part of this, not necessarily the first part. Um, so we're going back to 2012, and at that time, I was working in a in a newsroom in one of my first newsrooms. Uh, and as you would know, in your job also, people go missing all the time. Yeah, in Melbourne, in Victoria, in Australia, they go missing all the time, and we get alerts for missing people from Victoria Police. And I, I don't want to act like we don't, you know, jump up and go looking for them, but you know, usually people are found um, within a day yes. um, and then yeah. we get another alert saying, just letting you know, this person has now been found. Um, so in the case of Jill Ma, that didn't happen. Mm. So Jill was 29 years old and she worked for the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting uh Corporation. Corporation, and she was married to Tom Ma. So Jill was out with work friends on the night of September 21, 2012, and she was celebrating a colleague's birthday. She left that party around nine o'clock and jumped in a cab with two of her colleagues, and they went to a bar in Brunswick. When that bar closed at 1 a.m., they went on for another uh, drink at Bar Etiquette, um, and it was around 1.30 when Jill decided to head home. Now, a friend had offered to walk her home, but Jill declined because she only lived five minutes away. Mm. So at 1.30... And and not in a, a, you know, out-of-the-way place, a busy... No, for those not from Melbourne... um, Yeah, city suburb. Brunswick is close to the city. It's It's well lit. It's well lit. Mm -hmm. It's vibrant around that time. There would still be people around. It's not... We're not talking about, you know, scary, lonely roads. We're not talking about that kind of area. Um. So at 1.30, she began to walk away from her friend towards her home, heading up Sydney Road. At 1.41, CCTV captures Jill walking up Sydney Road near Hope Street. What do you think of when I say CCTV of Jill Ma? Uh, that, uh, knowing that you were going to be talking about this, I mm. the image of fleeting image of her on CCTV, is it? It's haunting. Yeah, it it's, is. It's really haunting. Yeah. Um, so everyone in Melbourne 
I don't know how well known the story is outside of Melbourne in other states. It would be well known. I don't know. I think because there was a lot of coverage of it at the yeah, time. But also, everyone... I have a friend who lives in Hope Street. Oh, so it's... do you? Mm. So everyone in Melbourne, when I say Jill Ma, would probably think of yeah. that CCTV. They would know it because yeah. it was just, it was everywhere. So around um, two minutes after that CCTV captures her, uh, Jill calls her brother Michael in Perth. So her dad was sick at the time. He'd had a stroke and she wanted to check in with her brother to see how her dad was going. Now, Michael recalls hearing a male's voice in the background of that call. Oh, really? Can I just explain something too, for Mm. anyone who's not from Melbourne? If she's, or from Australia, if... That sounds weird for someone to call someone at one thirty in the morning. To just, yes, but Perth is actually three hours Correct. behind, so yes. it would have been not just, that late. Yeah, just yeah. getting into the evening yeah. over there. Yeah. So her her brother hears a male voice in the background of that call, and when the call hangs up, he tries to call her back. Yeah, but she doesn't answer. Nineteen minutes later, Jill's husband Tom tries to call her, and she doesn't answer. Her phone goes to voicemail, so it's around. 2am at this point and Tom's trying to call her repeatedly trying to call her because it's really late at 4am he goes out to look for Jill he doesn't find her and by Saturday morning he goes to the police for help by Sunday Jill is still missing and a public appeal is made for her whereabouts Um, and by this point Jill's friends and family are putting up posters everywhere looking for Jill police also search her home. I can see the picture of her so clearly. The one with her just with red lipstick. Dark, yep. Dark hair. Beautiful pale skin. Dark apple hair. Cheeks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm. That photo. Um, police search her home uh, and they leave with bags of evidence. Now, I've written in my notes here to discuss this and I want to discuss this because I want to talk about kind of what was happening in our newsroom and probably what was happening in. Where were you working at the time? Uh, what year? 2012. Yeah, I was uh, just started at 3AW. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think in every single newsroom, and, and this is, I guess, it's awful, mm. but we were all looking at Tom Ma. We were doing that also because we were taking cues from what the police were Correct. doing. And, and they were searching in the exactly. home. And that and, was probably the only image yeah. people had seen because remember, yeah. we hadn't seen the CCTV at that point. Yeah, we hadn't. So all we had was that picture of Jill's beautiful face and he wasn't and this is not a criticism at all it probably reflects poorly on us he wasn't overly emotional when he Mm. made a public appeal he Mm. was very conversational and he was like well no she went out with friends and he wasn't a blubbering mess Mm. um and I remember um my news director at the time coming out, bursting out of his office and saying, we need to keep all the vision of the husband mm. just in case. And so that, but that also, well, yes, that's correct. Yeah. But then that also tells you how the media were reporting it. I'm not criticising at all because yeah. everyone I'm was obviously scratching for any information anywhere. Yeah. And so the pictures that mm. they had were of police removing things from the home correct. from memory. Yeah. yeah. And, and so know, that then coloured how people were looking at the and whole And the investigators... Thing felt that as well mm. i know there's been there's been documentaries made about um jill ma and and they they had that burden as well that that they were everything was pointing towards tom yeah and that they knew that perhaps it wasn't him mm. and investigators have said after as well it's probably something i'll keep going into but um that that they were 
aware that that's how it looked at the time mm. to the and, public. And also it's it's standard to start at the closest point for of that course, person and then to work start out. with family. Yeah, yeah exactly. everyone's a suspect until they're not, right? Yeah. So one key point in this investigation at that stage was not only was Jill missing, her handbag was missing too. And police, they scoured this area of Sydney Road where her friends last left her and they had been looking around that area. They, they'd done a sweep. But on the morning of September 24, her handbag appeared in a laneway off Hope Street in an area which was swept by police. So it just, it's turned up. And at this stage, homicide take over the case. So they confirm that Jill's phone is not in her handbag. Her credit card is. They do checks on both and they realise that the phone hasn't been used uh, and, and neither has the credit card. So police are pretty certain at this point that the bag has been planted there. And I'm pretty sure they did a press conference saying that they believe the bag was was put back. Um, as homicide police investigate, they soon learn that the handbag had been picked up by one of the neighbouring shopkeepers. He'd seen the handbag in that laneway and he'd taken it into his shop. Uh, he didn't realise what he had until he got a call from his daughter about Jill's disappearance because by then everyone's talking about it. And so he went back out to the laneway and he put it back and he didn't tell police. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And there are um, shots of that handbag online if you Google them and it's a black handbag and you can see the way the photo is taken from on top of the handbag, it sits open. You can see Jill's ABC mm. identification pass in that bag. So quite clearly Jill's bag. Now, if we go back to checking phones, the homicide squad are checking uh, where Jill's phone is pinging. And we say in Australia, I don't know if it's different, but they check what towers phones are hitting as they're moving. So if you're going through an error, it might hit off a tower in Glen Waverley, and then that's the way they know where you are. So at 4.30, they can see that Jill's phone is pinging on the Tullamarine Freeway near Moreland Road. And when they look through CCTV of that night, at the same time, Tom is walking down Sydney Road looking for her. Right. So that is how they're able to confirm that Tom is not involved with Jill's disappearance. Wow. Because there's, there's a lot you're telling you that I was unaware of. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, so that's how they're able to go it's not Tom because yeah. we can see him on the CCTV looking for her mm. and her phone is pinging on a freeway well away from mm. that area. So they also confirm that there's nothing in the flat forensically either in their home um, that, that would, you know, put him into the, into the disappearance of Jill and his whole account of the night stacks up. Mm. So now as police are going back over the area where the bag is found, they walk up the laneway and they have this incredible forensic examiner who finds unsmoked cigarettes. So I want you to imagine a laneway, a very small laneway. It goes down and then it kind of opens up uh, into a kind of a bigger area where you could park a few cars. Mm -hmm. um, so in that area, that's where they find the unsmoked cigarettes. They also find a pencil with the ABC logo. Oh. And they find an area of grass that's quite flattened. And this forensic examiner concludes that it looks like a rape scene. Wow. So they've got the bag further down. They find this pencil. So they go, okay, well, at some point she's down in that laneway. Yeah. There's yeah. unsmoked cigarettes here and there's an area that looks like someone's been raped. 
which I don't know how, how these forensic examiners go, that looks like a rape scene. I guess it comes from years and years of experience, but it's quite incredible yeah. to find a flattened area of turf. It was grass. Um, so the grass was some flattened in that area. Or, yeah. 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 Um, and at this point, Melbourne is consumed by this story. Mm. Yeah. Everyone is talking about Jilmar. It's leading the news. It's on the front page of the paper. It's in every radio bulletin. Um, everyone wants to know where Jilmar is. And the investigators were quite, um, I guess, impacted by the media of it. They had cameras following them up and down the road as they went into stores to talk to people. They had, you know, basically, I reckon at this time there wasn't a resource we weren't throwing at this story. Mm. Probably no other story mattered except for where had Jill gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, so all of this media coverage prompted a bridal shop owner to contact police to say that they believed they had footage of Jill and they thought she was being chased. Yeah, uh, it's it's. I know. Yeah. It's this is why I have to do this story in two parts because it's mm. it's actually it's just awful. So in this footage, what? what... Yeah, describe it first because mm. I want to. We need to talk about it. So in this footage, it's grainy, but it's you can look at it online. It's inside a store, and the camera is pointing kind of out the front window, and you can see the footpath, and you can see you can't see Jill's head in it. You can mm. just see her body and her legs, and you can kind of tell that she's holding a bag, and you can see a man in a blue jumper. And you can't see his head either. And he's almost walking alongside her and then he gets a bit in front of her. And this is the part that just, it just kind of haunts me, this part, is her footsteps. Mm. And her footsteps aren't confident. Yes. I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah. Whereas his his are determined. His are determined. Yeah. And um, her, her footsteps are cautious. She's wearing heels as well. And yeah. You can kind of see that she's kind of one step, the next step. It's a laboured process to get those footsteps mm. out for her. Um, and, yeah, you can see that he's kind of leading her. Um, so what I wanted to ask you is why – because that sticks in my mind. It's yeah. the, 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 they're the images that we saw. Mm. But is it because we wish we could, you tell know, her. you wish you could just you reach in? Tell her. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Or you just open her. the door of that shop mm. and grab her hand and pull her I in know. and slam the door in I his know. face. And there's nothing anyone can do. So investigators at this point, they, they believe Jill is dead. Mm. So... Jill's phone, going back to the kind of the pinging of it, it was pinging in Brunswick and then it starts to move and it's moving up towards Gisborne. So police use those pings to try and match CCTV from the freeway. Mm. So at that time, there wouldn't have been many people driving up and down the freeway at 4.30 and we've got what we call CityLink cameras. So CityLink is um, it's a tolled road and there's cameras that, that make sure that regos match accounts and all that sort of thing. And one of them matches up with the time. So at the time Jill's phone is going through that tollway, there is a car on that tollway and they're able to check the rego. And that car is owned by a man called Adrian Ernest Bailey. On day five of Jill being missing, police put a surveillance squad on Adrian Ernest Bailey and they do this because Bailey has 17 convictions for rape. So they track his phone from that night and they work out that 
both phones are pinging together on that night and they can track both of the phones all the way from Brunswick out to Gisborne, which is a regional area, would you say? Is it, was it regional? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's regional, it's it's rural. It's about an hour from the city, isn't it? Yeah, um, and they track both phones all the way out to Gisborne and only one phone comes back hmm. and it's his phone, not hers. Now, police still have this CCTV of Jill and the man they now believe to be Adrian Ernest Bailey. It's day six of the investigation and they're worried, they're really worried at this point that he will try to grab another woman because of his history. Mm. Um, They know what he's capable of. And he's either as dumb as dog shit Mm. or just doesn't care because if you in this day and age don't know that your phone will be tracked and your car will be tracked Mm. he either doesn't care or is incredibly stupid either way he's a and with that history he's a danger or is it just that yeah i don't care Mm. and he he's just that's that's the offender that he is that he was always going to escalate no matter what Mm. so police know that he knows how police interviews work. He's been arrested, he's been charged before, and he's been jailed for rape before. So Homicide Detective Sergeant Paul Rowe conducts that interview and Bailey says nothing to do with it, nothing to do with it. He offers to help, he wants to help police, but he's got nothing to do with it. He was calm and relaxed, um, but he's asked to explain his whereabouts and it was such a brilliant interview process, to be honest. Um, from go to woe of that night. Tell, sure, you had nothing to do with it. Tell us where you were. Tell us what you were doing. Mm. So he begins to do that and he begins to lie. And police know he's lying. So once he's done telling his side of the story, they said, sure, that's your night, but can you explain why your car was on the Tullamarine freeway um, and here's a photo of it? Because you didn't mention that in your story. Yeah. And he says he can't explain it. His phone was in Sydney Road at 1.30 and they put that to him Yeah, and he can't explain it. So it's at this point that they say that his attitude in that interview room began to change and he started to realise that police knew more than he thought they did. Yeah. Um, the last thing that Adrian Ernest Bailey is told is that the whole time he's been at the police station, police have been searching his home and he's asked if there's anything in that home that could be suspicious or could have anything to do with this and he says no but in that search police find a sim card it's a vodafone sim card and that sim card has been snapped in half and police are rushing at this point so they rush it to get it analyzed and sim cards i don't know if they have a little identification number on them Mm -hmm. police rush to vodafone to have that examined and they find out that that sim card is the sim card of jill ma wow So they've still got him in an interview room Hmm. at this point in time and they rush, they're going to police headquarters to say it's hers, it's hers, it's hers. And they tell him that they find this SIM card in his house. And throughout the interview, Adrian Ernest Bailey is saying, I can't explain that, I can't explain that. And when they tell him they find the SIM card, he says, I don't want to explain it. Hmm. Um, So... At this point, Adrian Ernest Bailey, he, he doesn't want to talk anymore. They take a quick break. And a short time later, he, he hits the buzzer for the police to come back in and he starts talking. And he's reasoning his rape and murder oh, of Jill. God. So okay. the goal for police at this point 
is to find Jill. Um, they, they don't so much need to know how it all happened. Mm. They just want to find her at this point as well. It must be concerned. so hard for them. So they have to effectively play nice with him. Of course. Hoping that he yeah. will give them that information. And you would know Ron Eddles, he was the head of Homicide, and mm. he's he, he's in a great documentary about this, and he kind of talks about how when you get in that room, you talk about footy. Yeah. You, yep. just, you try to find some common ground. Yep. We're all friends here, you know, before you kind of go into those really hard questions. Mm. So they eventually, um, he agrees to take them to where Jill is. And they're driving around Gisborne for some time and they're kind of driving up and down the same roads, the same roads, and he's not really saying anything. And then one of the investigators decides he's going to turn up a random kind of little street. And as they turn up that street, Adrian Ernest Bailey apparently perks up and he goes, this is it, this is it. And then the, the police said that they just they have no idea how he remembered that that was the road because there's just nothing out there. Um, but he points to an area eventually around 40 metres away from the road and there's a patch of disturbed grass there. And the investigators get out of the car and they realise that that is the gravesite of Jill Maher and Adrian Ernest Bailey refused to get out of the car. Had he buried her? Mm. He had, yeah. Mm. He buried her. Um, police later worked out that they did find a shovel at his home. He'd cleaned his car. He'd had his tyres changed. He'd done a whole lot of things. Mm. Um, and was it ever or did they ever find out why there? Is that an area No, so they've knew? never been able to find a connection okay. between that area and Adrian Ernest Bailey. So he's um, charged, arrested, formally arrested and charged. Um, and we do have some audio here. This is Tom Ma, the husband of Jill Ma, on the steps of the Melbourne Magistrates Court. Despite the fact that uh, this is the worst thing we'll ever go through in our lives, um, I've been really humbled by the support uh, of the Australian public, the um, tireless efforts of the police um, and all the friends and family who've put their lives on hold to, to, to help us out. Um, and while I, while I really appreciate all the support, um, I just would like to mention that um, negative comments on social media um, may hurt um, legal proceedings, so um, please be mindful of that. Um, and I would also like to say that um, if the press, if the, if the media could um, respect the privacy of the Myers and the McKeowns at this time. That'd be brilliant. Thank you. So Melbourne really grieved for Jill. And when I say grieved, I feel like this went from the public to politicians to it went all the way up, police command, um, and people were angry. And three days after he was remanded in the magistrate's court, 30,000 Victorians walked up Sydney Road in a sign that they wanted to take back the streets. Mm. People were so angry about him and his history. People found out that he had prior convictions. And at the time, he was actually on parole. Yeah. And this was the part that infuriated Was he people. on parole or on bail? Uh, so my understanding is he was on parole. No, he was on parole because what had happened was he was in um, – he had been in a, in a violent altercation with a man mm. um, and – he had been sentenced for it, but he believed that the sentence was excessive. Mm. So not that it didn't happen, just that the sentence was excessive. Right. So he appealed it. And when you appeal, you get out straight away. You don't serve the time. So had he 
had been behind bars, mm. this would never have happened. God. Yeah. So there, there are questions about, you know, there were furious questions at the time about if the system failed her because he was on parole. The then Chief Commissioner, Ken Lay, was asked about this at the time. Uh, he was asked about it by 3W Neil Mitchell uh, on that program. And he said, you know, has has the system failed her? And Ken Lay said, without a doubt, mm. without a doubt, she mm. had been failed. Premier well, I think he did the right thing admitting it to Yeah, same. He really had to. strong, yeah. really had to. Premier Dennis Natfine at the time came out promising to make changes to the parole board and changes were made, I believe, as a result of her death. Mm. Adrian Ernest Bailey was sentenced to life in prison with a non-parole period of 35 years. So there's a part two coming It doesn't end this? here. No. It doesn't end here. Okay. Um, for Tom Marr is actually, as you would have heard in that audio, um, is Irish. He went back to Ireland and I don't think he's ever come back to Melbourne after this. I could be wrong, but mm. from the public, uh, I guess, appearance, I don't want to say appearances, but speaking to the media in the time after her death, he hasn't spoken um, in recent years, I don't think. And it's no. coming up to 10 years. So my understanding is that he went back to Ireland because he couldn't be here, but I could be wrong, but that's to my knowledge. And and I could understand that. I, I'm just wondering now, um, mm. and I don't expect you to have an answer, but I wonder whether she was buried here or whether he took her home to Ireland. Oh, I actually don't know. Mm. But this is, and then the other thing I think that is really sh- is shocking with Melbourne as well is that when this happened, we all kind of claimed never again, never mm. again. And there was a big push to put more CCTV cameras around because they were so pivotal in and all that but then of course we've had it again Mm. this has happened again and again and again in Melbourne you know I can think of at least three other women that this happened to in Melbourne Mm. um and it's it's really shocking and it's terrifying and um you know I want to say that you can walk alone and you can do those things but in reality you can't yeah I know and I hate saying that like I I want to burn my bra every day and say that you know strong females should be able to do what they want and feel safe and it's not always the case no no Mm. that's the reality isn't it wow there Um, is a part two part two uh will be in the next episode Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.